Hi everyone, I'm Summer. I'm Carrie. And this is Popsia Podcast. I'm nervous. How <laughs> to be nervous be fun. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh my god! What the hell just happened? <laughs> what the hell? What is happening? <laughs> um, make sure you come back. We're gonna do this bi-weekly. So make sure you come back to talk to, to us more about you know, sex, drugs, and self-improvement. <laughs> okay, Josh. Thank you for coming back. <laughs> Especially to talk about this, because this one is the one that a lot of people are hesitant to talk about. Yeah. So do you want to just kind of... Um, give start by giving the background because i know that you were i I saw a couple of your TikToks where you were talking about like how many the difficulty in getting a therapist and getting the refills so if you want to kind of give that background i think that would be helpful so people have that an understanding because i don't think enough people are aware of that difficulty um i struggled for a long time without any help at all um, you know, going through the stages of, wow, can't come up with the word, not neglect, denial, that's the one. I went through denial for a long time, and then whenever I finally kind of started getting help, it was about the exact same time that I started initially proposing to get divorced in about 2017, 2018. Um, So we decided to try and work through it. And I was going through marriage counseling and my own therapist and um, active duty. They have a mental health entire section that has civilians. Um, Then there's military family life consultants that the airmen and family readiness center provides and it's all confidential stuff and they did a really great job but whenever i left the military um it was about two months after i left the military that i got my va rating um and they rated me as not having any service connected mental illness um so I fussed and fought with them for about six months and got to see they gave me a behavioral health manager. And that person for about six months taught me breathing techniques that I already knew from therapy and working on myself and kept giving me um, like metrics, like scales, like on on the average week, how often does this happen? Not at all, always, sometimes. And that was six months straight of me telling this woman, hey, I need a therapist, I need help. And then eventually she forwarded me to a therapist and I got two appointments in and then they canceled an appointment on me and never rescheduled and I couldn't get a hold of their offices for weeks. Um, but I was assigned a psychiatrist. That's the one that can give medicine, right? Mm-hmm. The psychiatrist yes. lady was 
awesome. She's still awesome. She still calls me to check in and everything. Um, but I hit a point <clears throat> this summer where I was out of medicine and I couldn't get a hold of her. So for about two months, I went unmedicated before I could get any action. The VA moves that quickly. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the struggles that I faced. So I've stayed off the medication since I dried out forcefully. And um, I think over the last year and a half, I've had five appointments with VA therapists and most of them were, they would either give me their metrics and ask me what was wrong and then not say anything else or yeah, it just wasn't good therapy. So how long has it been since you had to stop taking your med your meds? Um, I want to say it was like July, August. Wow. I, I can't remember exactly, but. And how are you doing without them? Um, I went through a huge period right there at the front of anxiety for not having them. But I think that it was mostly the anxiety about not having them. Um, and then I went through a period where it was like I woke up and every single sensation and emotion was not dulled. Everything was dialed up to 12. Mm -hmm. um, you get that pendulum bad. swing. Yeah, good and bad. And I had help getting through all that and talking through all of it. But even today, sometimes like the other day I cried at something silly. Somebody sent me a picture or something and I just streaming down. It was, and I was laughing about it because I couldn't figure out what was going on. <laughs> but it literally went from like looking through that glass that they keep in bathrooms that's like frosted over and being able to say, see like just silhouettes to crystal clear 2020 is the difference. It's a struggle. I that happened to me a few years ago, and I, I remember it in very large detail. <laughs> it's miserable getting that first little bit. Yeah, I was medicated for like four years, I think. So I, I feel the struggle bus that you were on. Yeah, um, and it's it's scary because the way that the that the meds work, and depending on which type of medications, you know, not being able to wean off of them can be really scary. I know I'm having to wean my daughter off of a medication I gave her as a mood stabilizer, but its primary function is anti-epileptic. So if you don't wean properly, it can cause seizures. Goodness. So. It's really terrifying to have to go off immediately like that. And I, quite frankly, I find it unethical, <laughs> um, these practitioners, to put people in these positions. Yeah. Unfortunately, like the, the VA 
is a big um big entity but a lot of people don't just have a a clinic in their town so most of their prescription work is done by remotely you talking to a doctor and then the doctor mails you whatever it is and once they mail it it's relatively quickly because you know usps isn't too bad but the period of getting it ordered to getting it shipped is usually in the neighborhood about two weeks that's a long time yeah have you heard thing back from them yet um i've since since i've gone off of it i've been talking to the psychiatrist but um i pretty much gave up on the va trying to provide a therapist i went through my insurance company and have a therapist that's local that we talk a couple times a month that's good so during that intervening time you've had some therapy and you you said you've learned you know these like breathing techniques and things like that so are you finding that now that you are off and you've gotten through that transition period where it's out of your system now are you finding that you're being better able to manage the symptoms than you were before before going on the meds back when that happened i was doing a lot of unhealthy things nothing illegal but a lot of unhealthy things in my coping before i was prescribed the medication mm -hmm. and then i was got on the medicine and it over the first few months we went from here's what the base dose is to let's kill a horse and mm. um, i really don't remember much of what it's like to try and deal with it on my own before i had the crutch of medicine or the things that i was doing mm -hmm. um, so actually dealing with the the issues without any aid like that it's been interesting i had to relearn it all over again and how has that been going relearning it good um you know every, every day's a different day and mm -hmm. i've got a lot a lot a lot going on in life like um i kind of took the easy way out getting out of the military and went straight to a federal job working with the military so it was kind of a half step out the door so i'm still clinging to that safety net and um but my work's going to be closing down somewhere in the end of next December in 2023, 2024, early, somewhere in there. So I'm having to find another job, which is a stressor that I haven't had to deal with in 13 years. Um, of course, um, schedule swaps with seeing my kids, that was that happened in October or late September, I think. Um, and so adjusting to that, not seeing them every single weekend, that's been different. Um, but um, I'm making it through it. So. <laughs> yes, that's good. In such a short amount of time. 
Well, and one thing I was talking to somebody um, yesterday about um, who is struggling and, you know, they've, <laughs> like you were talking about, you know, they learned some coping skills and they thought they were doing fine and then they were having a bad day and they were in a spiral and they're like, well, I just feel like if I'm still feeling like this, then I haven't made any progress at all. So I just wanted to put it out there that, you know, being aware and using those healthy coping skills is progress. Just because, you know, these things, we don't just, these things don't just change overnight and, you know, oh, we never feel that again. It, yeah, no, Ment mental health is, isn't, whenever it comes to like the deep trauma and the deep hurts and the big feelings, it's not that you're not going to feel it ever again. It's right. that you grow around it and mm -hmm. you you learn what to do whenever it starts happening so it's less of a big deal. Right, and that is progress and that is something to be damn proud of. Don't, don't, don't ever let yourself get caught in a shame spiral because you're feeling something that, you know, is triggering or, or what have you. It's okay, you just keep moving forward. Definitely. Another thing that I'd never had before was someone that was supportive of what I was going through and having someone support you through it is a night and day difference. Whereas before, like we took the kids on vacation to SeaWorld, I don't do good around people, like large quantities of people, especially whenever it's a scenario where I can't leave or I would feel guilty for removing myself, like the kids would the kids would see what was going on and they would be upset to leave because we just, you know, we're at SeaWorld and they're having a ball. Yeah. And then add on top of that, I had people around me that would get frustrated and irritated and act like I was a big issue. And going from that to now having somebody that is understanding and thinks about it in situations where I wouldn't have caught a trigger happening first they catch it before it even becomes a trigger for me it's insane it's awesome they give a support system like that they're hard to come by definitely the beginning of like your healing journey is you don't know like what kind of support to look for but i'm glad you have that thanks a yeah. lot yeah definitely. i think that's very important that's one of the first things i encourage people to do is Look at your support system, and and build build that community around you that is supportive. And as much as people don't like to talk about it or do it, sometimes we have to cut people out of our support system that are dragging us down. You know. Yeah, I have a coworker that has been he's been in and out, but he's flaky and needy and I handed him some really personal and profound information and something that I was excited about and I didn't get any response whatsoever and since then I've been taking my energy and not giving it to him at all. Nice. That's good. Boundaries was, was really hard for me. To work on it. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> taken me years. 
I think in the last couple years, I finally um, let go of a couple of close friendships that I had. Because originally, when I started being friends with these people, we were supporting each other. You know, we had similar struggles. We were dealing with similar things. And I've, you know, grown and changed things that I needed to change to deal with those things. But they hadn't. And so all it it had become just a vampire drain on my energy where they would come to me, throw all their emotional, (laughs) you know, distress on me and never make any steps to change their life or their situation or make anything better. And so it was just actually it, it, it got to the point where it was like, you know, when you try to save a drowning person and they start fighting you <laughs> and they're going to drown you both. And so, but it was hard for me because I was raised without um, setting boundaries. And so to create those boundaries, it took me pro- actually years longer than it should have to set those and say, you know, I'm, I'm done. I feel like, like I don't hate you, but I can't have you here either. I feel like that's a very common trend among people that have escaped the insanely evangelical Christian rooted system is I still have problems saying no and setting boundaries. And that's Mm -hmm. directly because of how I grew up. Absolutely. Well, we're told we aren't allowed to have those boundaries and we're not supposed to have those boundaries. And quite honestly, in a lot of ways, we're told that we're supposed to be miserable. Yeah. We're not supposed to seek happiness or fulfillment in this life. And God will only put up on us what we can bear. And so we're supposed to be these little fucking martyrs that, that, have, that have no boundaries and just are miserable forever. And I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> I may still be a bit angry. <laughs> but i'm okay with that it is it is uh what what, righteous anger that's that's the (laughs) phrase i heard from the pulpit many times (laughs) yeah Yeah, you're you're taking it and using it constructively there we go or at the very least not destructively like they do (laughs) it needs to destructively towards the church there you go (laughs) I mean, I will admit, I still have, so when we, I don't know if you saw, I know we talked about this in an episode, I don't know if you saw it, Josh, we had, I had, um, my son bought the building that had become storage for my parents' old church, and so in there I found all, everything that was stored in there, all the Sunday school curriculum for over the years, all the tracts that we gave out, all the extra Bibles that hadn't been given out, and I burned a lot of them. And then the rest of them are, um, I use as fire starters for my wood stove. And so like every night, it's like a, a tiny little moment of joy as I get to start the fire using. And I understand that uh, that um, my grandmother's rolling over in her grave thinking that's blasphemous, but that's okay. It makes me happy. It's cathartic for me. If it makes you happy, that's all, and it's not hurting anybody. That's all that really matters. Right. Yeah, because I just don't, I couldn't, there were some people who suggested that I, um, like, donate that to, donate it to an active church or something, but I felt like that was contributing to the problem. 
Yep, that's like giving bullets to bad guys. Yeah. Right. And I, I couldn't bring myself to do that, so I decided to go a slightly different direction with it. Well, now you're providing you and your family warmth. Uh, right? I mean, some good is coming out of it in the end, eventually, right? <laughs> they teach about not having earthly possessions anyway, so I mean, you're just helping with that, too. <laughs> well, I don't know. Depends on who they is. There's a there's a fair number of the uh, ministers in my family that are very cemented in prosperity ministry. <laughs> I never did that. That never made sense to me. Like, if Jesus was a real person, he would hate you. Like, <laughs> anyway. But they're fine as long as you know they're being hated in their Beverly Hills mansion. What do they care? <laughs> definitely reminds me of those uh, memes about people crying into their pile of money <laughs> right <laughs> so since we took this turn into the um, the cult um, was it hard for you to seek help and do you think part of your denial was because of the things that we're taught in the church about mental health and the resistance to getting help, that stigma? That thought never really occurred to me. I'm sure, very sure that it might have been an environment effect, but I never had that moment of acknowledging that religion had to do with not seeking help for me. Um, mine was all internal struggle of it wasn't that bad. I shouldn't feel this way. Right. I, I'm I'm way better off than this, this this type of person. I shouldn't feel this way. I don't deserve it. So, what was it that finally got you past that? To be perfectly honest, I went into a insanely deep depression um, for about a year, year and a half. And I, I couldn't tell you what was like, I can tell you what was miserable about that year, but I couldn't tell you any of the events that happened during that time. Like it just, it's gone. I was a robot. I wasn't, the lights were on, nobody's home. And whenever I decided, like, I just kind of pulled myself up by the bootstraps, got out of that hole and then sought help instead of doing it the other way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might have been a little easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Might have been, but. But it's hard. Um, it's hard when you're in the middle of it to, to one, recognize it. And then two, even if you do recognize it, to make the steps to. It was to actually get help because I realized during that time that I got married because of a trauma bond and we were both hateful and ugly people about other people to each other. Okay. And it was a pretty vicious thing. And um, as soon as I started getting better, the marriage started getting worse 
and it stayed on that constant trajectory all the way to the end. <laughs> yeah, that's actually pretty common when one person starts growing and the other person's not doing that same healing. It, yeah. I mean, that's that happened to me in some to some degree, I don't know to what degree that affected his and may and contributed to his eventual substance use. Um, but I do think that was part of the problem because that's what he kept saying is you don't need me now. And yeah. wanting and choosing to be with him wasn't enough. We still had that insecurity because I didn't need him. I wasn't trapped there. <laughs> Which is funny because I don't know why you thought I was trapped there to begin with because I could live in the fucking woods by myself. I don't care. <laughs> but in his head. And so I was making that progress, but he wasn't putting, he wasn't doing the work and wouldn't go get the help to do the work. And so you end up on very different paths. Yeah. What was even more baffling about mine is my ex already had a bachelor's degree in psychology and was in a master's program for social work and just completely blind to herself and to me. I tend to think that a lot of people in like helping fields do it because they don't want to, they project it onto other people, like the things that they wish happened for them, like the help that they, they give it to other people and then just kind of like block it off for themselves. And Dr. Faith likes to remind me, because I do this, I'm guilty of this. <laughs> we, like to, we like to try to help everyone else because then we can focus on their problems and not ours. Yeah, it's, it's so much easier, <laughs> but it's not you. Because you don't have to right. about all the back for you. And at my training, they called it the writing reflex. Where immediately fix the wrongs and give them solutions instead of just listening and like learning and but you know <laughs> what are you gonna do <laughs> we're going to fix this and not do this anymore that's what we're gonna do Listen, we're that, that's my goal <laughs> i'm getting better but uh, it is not always consistent sometimes Sometimes they have to step in and say, now you know better. What are you doing? <laughs> Do you find that coming from the backgrounds that we've talked about and dealing with your mental health stuff that your sight picture of who you are is kind of diminished? For example, like I have to, I'm working on it and fight it constantly about apologizing for everything all the time. <laughs> I have been working on that for years. Um, I had to, okay, so this is interesting, okay? So I was raised explicitly told, never show weakness, you weren't allowed to cry, you didn't apologize. So I worked on myself from about 17 to in the mid-20s of learning how to admit when I was wrong admit when I didn't understand things and to apologize. So I, I gained those skills 
But then I had the counter problem of always feeling like I wasn't worthy and I didn't understand and I wasn't good enough. So then it tipped over into the, I was apologizing for everything. And then when they told me not to apologize, I would apologize for having apologized. (laughs) So I've, I've been working on that. And honestly, I try not to even use that phrase now, just so I did, I don't fall into that and have to because when you have to more carefully choose words then you can more carefully examine oh is this something I'm supposed you know that I actually have to be sorry about and what is it instead of just that phrase so I think that's helped a lot in just training myself not to use that phrase and to have to be more specific because it makes me examine things a little bit better and reframe it if I need to yeah, I've I heard for months with my partner, stop apologizing for existing. Stop apologizing for existing. <laughs> I'm sorry for taking up space and you know breathing air. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's and a co- it is a common problem for those of us in that background. From that background, I've at least gotten to the point where this morning I communicated, hey. I'm fighting this constant need to apologize to you today. So that's just where I'm at. (laughs) That's good though. Being able to recognize it and acknowledge it, that's huge. Because I I had trouble for many, many years just, and I still do sometimes, just articulating what that problem is. And quite frankly, admitting it to other people when I'm struggling with something. Because there's been so many points in my life where those things are weaponized against you, anything you say, right? So then you just get hesitant to say anything, even if it seems innocuous. Yep. So. But progress is progress, right? We just keep going forward. It definitely is. It's, it's crazy that it doesn't feel like a lot of progress has been made, but then I'll look back at like pictures from about this time last year or a video from a couple years ago. And it's like, wow, like you can just see it in my face, the difference. That's always nice yeah. to do that. Like, oh my gosh, I was so sad and miserable in this one. And now I'm like so happy, like genuinely. I love that. <laughs> Definitely. It's hard sometimes to look at pictures from like 20 years ago because, and I don't mean hard, like painful. It's not necessarily painful, but it's surreal because I don't recognize that person. Exactly. And it's like I'm looking at someone else's life because I'm not that person anymore. And there was so much of my time was spent disassociated um, due to trauma reactions that honestly, there's a lot huge periods of that time that I don't remember. And so people will talk to me about, oh, when we went and did this or, or this happened and I'm sitting there like, oh, you know, I'm smiling and nodding. I don't have a clue what they're talking about because I don't remember it. But apparently yep. I had a profound impact on people's lives because they will tell me about all these wonderful things I did for them. And I don't have the foggiest idea because I don't remember it. I also have that problem. I also have an issue with like misremembering things where like I'll remember it happening a certain way 
and I think it's like I try to like minimize what happened and then people will be like no like that was actually like really bad and I was like oh wasn't that bad to me <laughs> or I'll remember it like remember it completely different like completely different events from like the day or whatever it was and I'll be like no like that's not what happened and I'm like I mean, your brain does have the survival instinct <laughs> where if your legs cut off, you don't usually recognize that you got a paper cut on your finger. Yeah, I yeah, that's the way it's been my whole entire life. It's always mm-hmm. observing it, but then when I try to like remember things, I don't remember it correctly or at all. Well, the thing about memory is when we remember things, we aren't actually remembering the event. We're remembering the last time we remembered it, our last memory of it. So at when we are creating those alternative narratives in our head of minimizing it or what have you, we start really thinking that's how it happened because that's how we remember it, even if it's not accurate to how it actually played out. And I mean, our brain does that to protect us, but it's not always helpful (laughs) at times. Something else that's really fun about it is that a lot of times your brain needs sleep to be able to solidify that memory in your REM and a lot of people that are having trauma and mental health issues don't sleep Mm -hmm. or if they do sleep it's awful sleep yes I yes there was a lot of years where I had such severe insomnia and then I would go you know because after about day three is when the hallucinations start for me so I would get to day four and then I would um drink a little bit of alcohol, but I had to try to balance it right because you didn't want to get drunk because then that would mess with the way the sleep patterns. But <laughs> so I had like this whole little this little formula in my head on how much I had to drink to help myself finally go to sleep, but not drink too much to where I didn't feel good or it messed with my sleep. And so the memory, my memory from those years is absolutely horrible because just a lot of the events never made it into long term memory because I wasn't sleeping. Same. A lot of like college, like I had insomnia and I just, I never slept really. And then they tried to prescribe me Ambien and that was the weirdest sleep of my life. And I hated it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then when I stopped taking it, it really messed my sleep up again. Vicious cycle. (laughs) I, that is one thing I'm grateful for medical cannabis in Oklahoma now because I can take a low dose of cannabis and it will help me get into a deep enough sleep, which I think I'm better now. Like I don't have the same level of nightmares and flashbacks that I used to, but um, for a long time in those early stages of sleep would be when that happened. And then I couldn't sleep obviously because you know, that wakes you up and then your adrenaline levels up and, and all of that. So, but cannabis kind of helps even that out and I can actually get sleep. So now people who knew me like say 10 years ago, still send me messages or text me at 3 a.m. and wonder why I'm ignoring them. And it's because I go to sleep at a normal time now, like a regular human being, because I can actually sleep. I have to answer that a lot. I'm like, uh, I was sleeping. You go to sleep early now. Yes, I do. Because I'm an actual adult. I go to bed now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an old lady now. I 
I, dinner's at four, bedtime at eight. <laughs> I literally have to be in my bed at like 10 or I'm cranky. <laughs> really? <laughs> don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel. And if you want to make sure you don't miss any of the uploads, be sure to turn on those notifications so you, uh, you will know as soon as those go up. Um, also, like us on social media at Hypoxia Podcast. Or uh, the easiest way is to go to our website, hypoxia.com. That's H-O-P-O-K-S-I-A.com. And the links to all the socials and all the podcast feeds are right there. And we just want to thank you all for sharing your time with us, hanging out with us. And we hope to um, spend more time with you in the future.